Good evening, and uh, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> this, uh, I'm going to turn that off too. Uh, last week, front page of the Bellingham Herald, hiking the hoe. Doesn't sound that good, does it? But, uh, out on the coast, the Washington coast, there is a, uh, a trail, and uh, this is what they said. Partway through a miserably muddy slog around Hoe Head, the backpacking trip to this part of the coast at Olympic National Park was looking like a bad idea. Never mind the stunning beauty of the sandy third beach and the blue-green water to Strawberry Bay on the first day of the hike. Five of us had driven, taken the ferry. From La Push, we walked 1.4 miles through the forest, open to a sparkling bay, and so on. The overland routes are used when the tide isn't low enough for hikers to pass the headland. Be prepared to haul yourself up and down these steep and rugged trails with the help of ropes and ladders that have been <laughs> strung up. I did that once with 25 kids in tow. We took our high school youth group on that hike. What's that? And a crazy wife. I looked for that picture. I, I have a picture of my wife. What's in her eyes is something like, if you ever do this again, I'll divorce you. We took our kids on this hike. You go in at one spot and you hike down and come out on the other spot. And we were going to go, you know, like three miles a day. It wasn't going to be terribly demanding and make camp every night and do a few camp things along the way. But it never looked like this. Uh, it didn't look as good as it looks outside today. In fact, it was raining every day. We had to chop the middle out of the firewood where it was dry to make a fire. And on the last day, the rain was going like this, and the tide was high where we needed to walk around the heads. And, and we got to a place where it was impassable, and the rain is coming, and there's no place to do anything. And we looked at this, this little outcropping of rock and bush and stuff, and, and I thought, how hard could it be to go right up over the top of this thing and get out? It could be real hard. <laughs> it could take all day. <laughs> we could become cold and wet, and some of our people could have hypothermia. <laughs> and uh, I would have paid good money, good money for a GPS unit or a detailed map, or even somebody saying, now this is going to be really hard when you get to this spot. I didn't know. I, I, I made my own path, and uh, it was not easy. And uh, it could have turned out much worse than it did. God has given us the path for Christian growth. He didn't just say, now be like Christ, Figure it out. He said, you need to be like Christ. Now, here it is. Step one, step two, step three. 
And I think this passage in Peter is just a, a tremendous example of that. Christian growth begins with faith. Let's read the passage. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Peter is writing to Christians, people who have already put their faith in Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How is grace and peace multiplied to us? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has already given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. He's talking about God's word. That through God's word you may partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, because we've been given all of these blessings, what are we supposed to do? What do we need to do? We need to give all diligence to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Christian growth begins with faith. We looked at this last night. Christian growth is the perfection of character. God's target is to be like Christ. Our target should be that. We shouldn't be aiming low. When I was in Bible college, we had a professor who made contracts for grades. And he would say, what grade do you want to get? Only you couldn't contract below a C. (laughs) So he'd say, I want to get a C. And he'd say, well, you have to do this quality of work to get a C. I think some Christians think the Christian life is that way. God says we're supposed to be aiming for an A+, and we're saying, you know, I think a C would be good enough for me. God says the target is the perfection of our character. Number three, Christian growth then, the, the, the path, the progress, the, the starting point is obedience. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue means moral excellence. And in this list of characteristics, it means you start by being a believer in Christ and then you do whatever you know. James chapter 1, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And then it progresses by more truth, by knowledge. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. You need to learn more about being like Christ. That's a big part of what coming to church should be about. It's not the only part. But we should be learning to be more like Christ and not just from the spoken word. We should be learning to be more like Christ by seeing other people who are already a few steps ahead of us. And seeing how they walk through things. Number five, Christian growth progresses by determination or self-control. Add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control. It's not enough to know the truth of what a Christian is supposed to be like. We have to implement it. We have to take a hold of ourselves and say, I will do what God wants me to do. Tonight, we move on now to number six, 
and understand that Christian growth progresses by perseverance. Look at your list there, but for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. The King James Version translates this patience. The word is also, same word is also translated long-suffering, endurance, and steadfast. The key idea is not giving up under changing circumstances. I love the title of this book from Eugene Peterson, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. There is a, there is a sense in which it's not hard to do something right once. Um, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever started a diet? <laughs> I've started a couple. <laughs> but God says, not only do we need to know the right thing and do the right thing, we need to do the right thing over and over. Perseverance is self-control for the long term. Self-control for the long term. The Apostle Paul wrote a little piece of testimony about him and, and the struggle he had in his own life in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, everyone who competes for the prize, he's using an illustration of you know, the Olympic Games in his day. Everyone who competes for the prize is self-controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, here's how I run my, my race of faith. Not with uncertainty. This is how I fight the good fight of faith, not as one who's just beaten the air all over the place. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. How many times does that, how many times does it sound like that's what Paul did? When you read that, and you think about Paul, and you think, I bet he did that once. Is that what that sounds like? What does it sound like? It sounds like this was his regular pattern, day by day by day. Hey, stop that body. Hey, old flesh, don't, don't take me there. I'm going to go the right way. And he's constantly working to do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing over and over and over. Hebrews 12 says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And in this context, it seems to be a reference to people who have gone on before us into heaven who are, who are witnessing, they're watching what we're doing. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance or perseverance or patience the race that is set before us. When I was in junior high, we used to have to run around the field in gym class. And uh, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I wasn't the fastest guy in the class. And it was like way around the whole field. It wasn't just like around the track one time. It was way around, around, around. I'm going, oh, man, when's this going to be over? And all I could think about was stopping Run with endurance. Run with endurance. God says, 
that there are aspects of the Christ-likeness that cannot become part of our character quickly. That's the essence of this perseverance thing. Um, I don't want to minimize this decision, so please understand that. But when you put your faith in Christ, it is a one-time commitment of your heart that starts transformation in your life. But when God says you, you have a major area of your character to change, it isn't going to happen with one decision. One of the problems with camp, I don't know problem, challenges with camp ministry is, is, is we get young people here, we get them extremely uh, connected with one another and emotionally involved in the work of the Lord, and we say, dedicate yourself to living for the Lord. And they go, yes, I'm going to dedicate myself to live for the Lord. And they go home... And now it's perseverance time. And perseverance is where the rubber meets the road, where the work really begins. Work, 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 work. There's tremendous payoff, but it requires tremendous work. When I was in grade school, I can't imagine that that actually was from the 60s when I was in grade school, but it might have been. But we had reading books called Think and Do. Think and Do. And it was, all, it was a phonics method of learning to read. You, you learn the sounds and sound things out and so on. And, and it's like learning one plus one is two and then gradually building in mathematics. Only this was reading. Think and Do. Think and Do. And I'm the kind of guy who likes to pick things up quick and move on to another new thing. And in fourth grade, my teacher who... I didn't get along with that well. It was kind of a tough year. Teacher was really messed up. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> one, I, one time in particular, the teacher gave us a page to do. You know, and there you are in the class. And, and I'm a fourth grader. I don't understand what's going on. But in retrospect, I know that there was a concept. And now this page is practicing the concept. And it, I don't know if there was 25 lines on there, a lot of lines, and it was like over and over, and it was like, I am done with this already. And I just went, mark, 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 the great the thing. And I got an F. <laughs> and then I got in trouble at home. <laughs> I didn't want to think and do. I Pick it up and go on, something else. There are aspects of Christ-likeness that cannot be learned quickly. And, and you know which ones they are? I don't either, but God does. And that's why he leaves us in certain circumstances for periods of time that we think are too long. And he leaves us there. And that's what this passage is about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, difficulties, testings. That same word, that word has a negative connotation to us, but that same word is often translated test as well. Test has a less negative connotation, but, but it's, it's about figuring out what's really inside of you. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, Ooh, 
We want patience. How? In a hurry. <laughs> Don't ever pray for patience unless you really want to be godly. And then be ready. But let patience have its perfect work. The, the, the word here, the, sort of the literal concept in the word is to stay under. And, and my mental image always goes to something like a diamond. Who, and if you know your science at all, you know that a diamond is formed under tremendous pressure. There's pressing, pressing, pressing. And the end result is something very beautiful. If we would imagine that the diamond had feelings, we would think that couldn't have been very easy. That wasn't fun. That wasn't desirable. God knows there are some things that cannot be learned quickly, and so he leads us through challenges. One of the ways, just a simple little thing that really helped me to grasp this idea of perseverance and its importance in the Christian life was when I was painting my house a few years ago. I have a house that's got kind of gables on both ends this way and, and two on the front this way. And then a, it's called a Dutch hip roof. So there's a roof here and there's a roof over above it. And I had to get up there and lay on my back and go like this to paint this little spot going down to the end. And you know how long I'm interested in something like that? <laughs> About five minutes. Now, I like to paint. Painting is, some guys hate painting. I like painting. I like painting when I can go... You know, and I'm a good painter. You, you can ask folks that have seen my house. But when it's like, uh, 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 you know, my arm's getting tired and so on. And I thought, I'm just going to stop. It's my house. I don't have to paint the rest of this. Nobody's paying me for this. <laughs> and the Lord said, you need to practice persevering. <gasps> and I thought, that's, that's something that's been missing in my Christian life. There are times when I'm doing the right thing, I, I know the truth, I am exercising self-control, but it's hard to keep doing it. And you know what we're supposed to do in those moments? We're supposed to keep doing it. Now, it's not easy to convince yourself that you can tolerate one more minute in a hard circumstance, but you can if you'll keep these things in mind. Number one, remember God is controlling your circumstance. One of the hardest things that I do as a pastor is to look people in the eye and say, God knows what you're going through. Because I'm not going through it. I, I've talked to people in just about every kind of circumstance you can imagine, and I haven't been through a lot of them. But God does know. He tells me right here, there is no test, no, no difficulty, no challenge to your faith has come upon you except such as is common to man. It's, it's not as unique as you think it is. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, with that test, he will make the way of escape. Now, our problem is right here. Because we know what we can bear, and God doesn't understand that. God's got it wrong. That, I mean, none of us would verbalize that right out loud very often. But what we're going, no, I, it, it, 
what we say is, I, I can't do it. I can't take any more. It's too much. And in those moments, that's the moment in which you already know the right thing, you've done the right thing, and the next thing is hang in there. Hang in there. It's absolutely true that you want relief immediately, but it isn't true that you need it. You know how I know? Because of what God said right there. You know how to, you know how to tell if you can bear with a difficulty in your life? If it's there. If it's there, you can bear it. Why? Because God said he's, gonna, he's protecting you. You look at Job, and, and, and Job had nothing, didn't deserve what he went through. He didn't earn that by his bad behavior. And, it, and it, boy, that's huge what he went through. God knew that he could bear it. And God knew that Job would, would, would contribute to God's program in the world through that. Number two, if you're going to persevere, you've got to remember to call on God for help. You've got to remember to call on God for help. In, in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, ask God. See, the problem we have sometimes is we're praying, why, why, why? And we should be praying, how, how, how? Or what? What is it you want me to learn? I want to learn it. Help me to see that. How do I persevere through this? And we get in the Word and we learn some more things about how to persevere. Those are the kind of prayers we should pray. If you think prayer is a simplistic solution to a complex problem which really doesn't help, then you haven't been in the habit of praying. Because if you've been in the habit of praying and really praying about all the concerns in your life, I can guarantee you've been seeing answers. And God has been strengthening you to the point where you know, hey, I need to pray now. And I need to ask some other people to pray. This last year, I started a new prayer meeting with myself and two retired missionaries who are in my church. And we pray about all the stuff I can't write on the prayer list. We have a prayer list in our church every week. And one of those retired missionaries handles that and gets that all together. And, and everybody who's got a concern is on there. But we pray about the stuff that burdens my heart that I can't tell anybody about. Stuff inside the church and stuff outside the church. You know why? Because I can't do anything about it. God has to do something about it. And God said, you have not because you ask not. My challenge to you tonight is to answer the question, have I been praying about everything that concerns me, especially about the times when I need to persevere through a challenging, through a challenging trial? Now, the Apostle Paul did this. Concerning this thing, that, you know, God sent the, the thorn in the flesh to him to uh, keep him from being proud. It lasted all of his life as far as we know. How long did it take Paul to learn that lesson? Wow, all of his life. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, most gladly will I boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. 
I take pleasure in infirmities. I'm not that spiritual yet. I don't take pleasure in a post-surgical knee. I'm trying. I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And if we look at everything he wrote, what he's really saying is, when I am weak and I call on God, God helps me through, and I get to to be strong through this, but really I get to see God being strong. Number three, how are you going to persevere? Remember to do God's will for today. Do God's will for today. Matthew 6, for after all these things, all the stuff of life, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Here's what you should do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make God's life, the Christ life, your priority, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you know what God wants you to do about the difficulties in your life? He wants you to do the things that you can do today. Whatever it is. He wants you to tend to your God-given righteous priorities today. See, our, our flesh calls to us in the midst of hardship, and it says things like this. If my husband or wife doesn't change, I won't be able to go on another day. Yes, you will. If my parents don't let me fill in the blank, I will just die. No, you won't. If my boss doesn't change, I will not be able to stand it. Yes, you can. If I can't get over this illness, my life will be terrible. No, it won't. The godly believer learns a new way to act like Christ, practices it over and over until it becomes part of him or her. In this way, a new behavior becomes a character trait by the power of God transforming us through obedient repetition. Now, again, as I've tried to say throughout this, I know this isn't easy. But I know that it's blessed. Because the product is being more like Christ. And the more I am like Christ, the more I will have His joy and peace throughout all of the experiences of my life christian growth progresses by perseverance and then christian growth progresses by reverence look at verse five and six again with me but for this very reason add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness The word godliness almost sounds like a repetition in this list. Godliness? The whole thing's about becoming godly. But the word godliness here um, has a meaning more like uh, the word devout. To be devout, to be 
a sincere worshiper. So it's not about taking on characteristics. It's about how, you, how your attitude toward God is. And as I meditated on this, I think this is what, what God is trying to tell us here. Growth in Christ's likeness requires greater or growing devotion to God. Do you remember these words of Jesus? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Have you ever thought about growing in devotion to God? We think of growing in obedience in terms of acts, you know, uh, lying or loving or some particular action. But this area of growth has to do with my commitment to God, my, my connection to God, my putting him first in life. One of the fundamental questions we have to address in all of life every day is this, who am I living for? Or you could put it this way, who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of my life? This goes to the root of determining whether or not I will grow. At each step of growth, we are tempted to ask why. Why should I obey? <laughs> Jim, Jim's dad uh, broke his hip a week or so ago. He was outside watering something. They live, there's, they have a couple of houses together, him and his folks and his, his uh, sister and family. And, and dad tripped and fell. He's 80 years old. Tripped and fell and broke his hip. And he was down and he was not getting up. And he's hollering, but nobody can hear him. They're all in houses and so on. And pretty soon, out comes the five-year-old, the five-year-old. And he says, go get grandma, go get grandma. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because when I get up, I'm going to kill you. That's why. (laughs) And it took a while (laughs) to get the five-year-old finally to go. He went and got the sister, the brother, and they came out and asked why. Because I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) Oh, what do you suppose is like for God in heaven when we look up there and go, why? (laughs) That five-year-old really can't understand what's just gone on. They can't. And there are many times when even if God explained this whole thing to you, which could be, could, your little episode might have to do with years of other things going on, and we'd go, I, I don't understand. And that's why God just says, yeah, so just obey, just persevere, just hang in there with me. But the fundamental question is, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to say, okay, not Why? Why should I obey? Why should I learn more? Why should I control myself to do God's will? Why should I persevere in my righteousness? Because it pleases God. 
The Apostle Paul was highly dedicated to God, and the reason was because he appreciated his salvation. I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. The Apostle Paul said, wow, God has saved me. And so when, when God said, you're going to have this thorn in the flesh, he looked up and he said, okay, because you saved me. And whatever, whatever you need to do, whatever you want to do, whatever I'm supposed to do, that's okay, because you've saved me. And the, the, the growing Christian grows in this devotion to God. The more we obey God, the more we, the more we learn from his word, the more we pray and see his answers, we come into a deeper appreciation for who he is, and so we grow in a reverence for him that gives forth in obedience. The more we can understand, the, the more we can appreciate, the more we can obey Number eight, Christian growth progresses by relationship. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and then to godliness brotherly kindness. We talked about this word the other day when we were talking about dating relationship. Most often this word, uh, philea, or some form of that is translated brotherly love. But the root concept is, is that of shared family understanding. Um, God created Christianity to be a relational experience. Brotherly kindness is a relationship based on common human experience. When you are sick, I have been sick, I can understand, I can sympathize, that common human experience. When it comes to spirituality, you're struggling with something. I, I have struggled similarly, perhaps, not the same. There's a common human experience. Christianity was created to be a relational reality. As the body is one, the body of Christ, but it has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. I've come to appreciate this much more in recent years, just the concept that Christianity is not a solo endeavor. In our American society, we have believed the preamble to the Constitution or to the Declaration of Independence when it says, you were endowed by your creator with life, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the whole individualistic concept of our country, we think that's in the Bible, but it's not. We are moral agents responsible to God, that's true. But what God designed for Christianity is this, that we would be a body, that we, we would be an organism that is a living thing. And so when I pray together with those two older brothers on Tuesday, there's, there's a ministry there just by virtue of their experience and their their, their ability to absorb difficulty and to pray about it. Yes, we're praying, but there's a, there's a ministry of fellowship, of brotherliness together. When I meet with my elders, I feel the same way. I feel like, man, we're in this together. I'm not alone. When one Christian helps another Christian, and 
we found this thing called the meal train, and it's some computer program, and when somebody needs meals in our church because they've been ill, somebody types a few lines in, and boom, it goes out, and people go, yeah, I'll give a meal, and they go over and share a meal, and there's this, this shared fellowship thing that goes on. It's not just taking a meal. It's a, it's a relationship, and this is an area that we need to grow in. We need to grow in our relationship and our connectedness to the body of Christ. Brotherly kindness prefers. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Brotherly kindness restores. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Number three, brotherly kindness cares. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. One of the authors, one of the commentators that I read said this, Peter was the recipient of Jesus' brotherly love. That morning on the beach after the resurrection. After being wounded by Peter's three denials, Jesus shared a meal with him. They remained brothers, family. We are called to do the same thing. When a brother or sister in Christ fails us, will we run in the opposite direction when they seek restoration? Or will we act in brotherly love? Um, in your family, there are times when people get upset with each other. But if you have any strain of godliness at all, you don't leave the family. You don't kick them out of the family. In part, you would say, well, we're family. We have to work this out. And that's the mentality we need to have with the body of Christ. And that needs to be a growing thing. Our relationship to the body needs to grow. Number nine, and the final one in this pattern of growth, Christian growth culminates in sacrificial love. This is the apex. This is the, this is the top of this ladder. And the, the best definition of this kind of love um, you know, this, this one here is brotherly love. This is that, that Greek word that you may be familiar with, agape love. The best definition is right here. This is how we understand what love is, what agape love is, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This kind of love is sacrificial in nature, and it's fleshed out in this familiar passage that gets read at a lot of weddings. Love suffers long or is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I put this passage in the back of your notebook for this encouragement, memorize this passage. One of the ways you can grow in this kind of love is to memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and meditate on it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Maybe there's somebody in your life 
who's a little bit difficult. I, I don't know about you, but not everybody that I know is easy to get along with. Okay? I can think of a guy that I met at the Dairy Queen who I didn't want to meet. And his behavior is obnoxious to me. And when I couldn't stand it any longer, I said something to him. It didn't go that well. And this is, a, this is one of those guys who just comes up and talks to everybody, like Tom Rollman. <laughs> Only you wish he'd quit talking two minutes after he started. Okay. And then that guy came to our men's fellowship. I think God wants me to figure out some way to love that guy. I'd just soon not. But here's the deal. You want to figure out how to love that unlovely person? Meditate on this passage. Pray through the passage. Take that piece of paper and go, love is patient. God, what would it look like if I was patient with that brother? Love is kind. God, what would it look like if I was kind with that sister? And just think through that and pray through that. If we look at Hebrews 12, we understand something else about the love of Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Did Jesus enjoy dying on the cross and all of the persecution that went with it? No. Did he enjoy the product of dying on the cross. Yes, he did. That product is you and me. And somehow we have to get that mentality which says, I am going to lay down my life doing what is needful for the other person, not because it feels good, not because it's easy, but because it is right. Christ did for us what we needed, not what made him feel good. This is the supreme level of character, and that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. And so as we work through all of these other uh, steps of character and moving forward, this one needs to progress as well. Now I want to come back to a word at the beginning of the list as we as we put verses 5 through 7 um, away tonight, and that word that we come back to is the word effort. Christian growth progresses by effort. For this very reason, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and so on. The word diligent literally means haste. One of the times it's used in the New Testament is talking about Mary after she found out she was going to give birth without a man being involved or be, become pregnant without a man being involved and that whole episode of the, of the angel talking to her. When she got done, it says she got up and went with haste to the hill country to see her relative, Elizabeth, because the angel had said Elizabeth's already three months long. And that was a miracle in itself because she was so old. Mary got up and went with diligence, went with haste. How interested do you suppose she was to go talk to her and go, what in the world is going on? 
I think she couldn't get her bag packed fast enough. How do you respond when somebody says, time for dinner? (laughs) It's the bum's rush to the dining hall, right? How about when they say, time to do your homework? (laughs) Put on the brakes on that dude. How about, let's go to the Dairy Queen for a treat. Yeah, I'm riding shotgun. Boom, I'm first one there. How about, take out the garbage? Oh, man, I, oh, you know, my shoulder's been kind of bothering me. Do you hurry or do you delay? That's God's definition of diligence. We could compare the word haste with the opposite, which is delay or sloth or slowness. God says that we can become like Christ. We can become like Christ, and so we ought to hurry up and get to it. Ah. There was a youth group years ago down in Salem, Oregon, that wanted to build up their attendance. And so they said, and this was, uh, this was 30 plus years ago, when $100 was worth way more than it is today. And they said, we have hidden a $100 bill in Salem, Oregon. And at every youth meeting, at the very end of the youth meeting, we are going to give you a clue as to where you can find that $100. And we're only going to say the clue one time. Boom. And next week, there'll be another clue. Boom. And their attendance skyrocketed. (laughs) Because everybody wanted that hundred bucks. If I told you right now I buried a hundred bucks on this campground, I know a good portion of you would beat feet going after it. And rightly so. Why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you almost say that the person who leaves the hundred bucks laying there is wasting their opportunity to enrich themselves? This is more than 100 bucks. Being like Christ. Having the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, the character of Christ. God says, let's get to it. Heavenly Father, help us to haste, to be diligent, to get after this work that you've laid out. You've told us how to do it. It's not a mystery. So help us to get to it. Help us to get in the Word. Help us to get in the prayer closet. Help us to persevere. Help us to do all of these steps as we approach every aspect of character. I pray in Christ's name, amen.